0: Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello everyone, this is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for a special episode 17.2. Thank you for joining us. Today's episode focuses on hashtag RedAlertRestart, which is taking over social media on September 1st. Over 2,000 buildings across North America will be lit up red from 9pm to midnight local time to bring awareness to congressional leaders of the 12 million live event workers out of work and the thousands of small live event businesses that have little to no revenue until at least February of 2021. As theaters, concert tours, festivals, opera houses, trade shows, and other live events, as well as film and television production, remain closed, or open on a very limited basis, the entire industry is impacted, from designers, technicians, programmers, and stagehands, to rental shops, manufacturers, and distributors of entertainment technology. The first industry to close last March live events could be the last sector to reopen due to the COVID-19 crisis. Here to talk with us about how artists are faring during this time of COVID-19 is Sammy Ross, a lighting designer living in New York City, where she designs for television, live events, and theater. She is also host of the podcast, This Is Not a Handout, exploring the ins and outs of where money interacts with social issues. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, Sammy Ross, to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: For the people listening in the future, this is August 25th, 2020, that we're recording this. So it's amidst COVID-19 pandemic and also the Black Lives Matter reawakening. Yes. Sammy, could you give us a recap of your life and how you got to where you are right now in your career?
1: So I started really doing lighting in high school. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but you know, we all, we all have to start somewhere. And then I actually went to school. I went to Emerson College and I got a BFA in Lang Design there. And then from there, I actually moved to Los Angeles where I was really fortunate to get an awesome paid internship. Wow. Uh, at, yeah, I got, <laughs> it was really one of its kind. It was a design internship at PRG which if people don't know what that is, they're a, quite a large international rental house. So they have lighting, audio, video gear, um, and, and they also have crew, but this was like a weird, not never before, never after internship where we were allowed to be lighting designers and we basically got to... Find our own theaters and find our own venues and be like, Hi, we're lighting designers, but we have the backing of PRG and we can give you gear and like intern labor. And people were like, This is fantastic. I was like, Yes, it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So from there, I started assisting different people and, you know, doing my own designs. And after five years of living in LA, I moved to New York to pursue theater. But what's ironic about that is I'd been doing television in Los Angeles, so I came here to do theater, and of course, all my contacts were in TV, so I ended up doing way more television than not here. (laughs) That takes us to now where we're in the middle of a pandemic, as you've been talking about on your previous shows.
0: Yeah, and you can't not talk about it.
1: No, no, it's very important, in fact, to talk about it, I think. I think we should not ignore what's happening in the world I started a podcast because I missed being an artist. And I think that being an artist isn't just the one profession that you have. I think if you're an artist, you always want to create art in different ways. And, you know, I saw what was going on around me. I saw all the hate and the vitriol that's been happening the past few years in this country. And I I saw a lot of misinformation. So I started a podcast called This Is Not A Handout where my goal is to create uh, a more informed and more empathetic society. So I try to always create compassion for my topics. They're mostly a lot of social issues that we're dealing with right now. And I try to help people to understand what the heck is actually going on so that we're not just sitting in the dark being like, this meme, is it real? Is that a real thing, or is that just someone putting words on top of an image of President Lincoln, and now we think that that's the quote that he said, which it probably isn't?
0: Right, right. I try not to follow the news. I know that's impossible. (laughs) Uh, Part of the reason is because you read all this stuff and then you have to go to Snopes.com or you have to go research it. And I'm like, I don't have the time to go research all this. So like, I'm just going to ignore the news so that way I don't have to fact check the news.
1: <laughs> it, yes, it, it is exhausting. <laughs> I will say that I don't read, I, there are days where I don't read the news because I just mentally can't. I mean, you and I actually both, work in the news. Mm-hmm. yeah. As a line director for different news stations, it's sort of part of who I am, but also I, I realize that if I pay attention to what's going on, even if it's just like an hour per day, because sometimes you do have to tune it out, you know way more than a lot of people, which I've discovered, and not that people aren't smart, and not that people aren't good, but it's just you end up, via almost like osmosis, like being in the room, you know a lot more about these topics and i so this podcast was my way of giving back of being like i understand that the news is really difficult to watch right now i understand that there are a lot of difficult topics right now but if we can in any way help each other out this is a way that at least i can give back because i do read the news and i just it's something that i can't stop doing so i might as well teach someone else about it
0: yeah amazing yesterday i had michael strickland on who's the founder of bandit lights And he, I'm not, we didn't talk politics, but I will say that I feel like I might have had my first Republican on the show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In the arts community, it's rarer.
0: Yeah, but he's, he's like old school too. He was ignoring politics. He's like, this is not a political issue. This is something like all Americans need this, you know. He's like, I don't like that it's so political, but that's the world we live in everybody is impacted by this to talk about the red alert restart thing the restart act that is something that's going to help 12 million people in the live events industry not to mention everybody else in the country sure <laughs> but yes. it's like of those 12 million you know there's red and blue people there yes all the people need the help all the people need the aid all the like all the people are in the same predicament so i find that found that like hopeful and positive from michael let's just get down to like the basics and how this affects us as human beings politics
1: can get dirty yes but i think being informed is a different topic i think in fact if you're not informed you're doing yourself a disservice because these things are happening around you whether you're informed or not so i think it's better to be informed And to understand your rights and to understand what's happening politically, not, again, like the dirty politics, but politically what's actually happening in our country so that we can make informed decisions of whether we want that or not.
0: Side note, I know Emerson is probably this famous college that I should know where it is. Where is Emerson College? (laughs) No,
1: no, no. It's not that famous.
0: (laughs) Massachusetts is my guess, but I don't know.
1: Yes, it is in Boston, Massachusetts. In the heart of the city, actually. It's in downtown Boston.
0: Did you grow up in Boston or Massachusetts and then go to LA or were you LA came?
1: No, I grew up in New Jersey. Then I went to college in Boston, then moved to LA, then moved to New York. So I've been a little bit everywhere.
0: Amazing. Okay. All right. Demographics, race, age, gender.
1: Yes. I am a 31-year-old white Jewish lady. I go by pronoun she, her.
0: Awesome. Okay, so and now your creative personality. What is a live event that you like to experience?
1: I love going to concerts. I know we're like theater people, and I love theater as well, but there's nothing, I think that's what I've been missing, is the community right now. There's nothing quite like being in the middle of a crowd of your favorite band and just jamming out and just being in the moment. It's, it's pretty surreal and... I think a lot of folks are missing that right now, but for sure I am
0: yeah, absolutely um and I know you say we're theater people, and a lot of people do say theater. I think you're actually the third that has said concerts, so you're not you're not alone, like it is a spectacle that people love,
1: yeah, and especially nowadays, concerts aren't just about the music right they're they're about the whole experience being an arena where you like have the lights and you have the video wall and you have like you know crazy acrobatics mid-air that's pretty wild it's pretty cool
0: awesome okay what is a piece of art that you like
1: it's right behind me i don't know if you can see this but there's there's a woman named Bonnie Lambert who's a local artist in Los Angeles and she creates this beautiful watercolor landscapes that are slightly surreal like not completely van gogh style but you know they're just stunning and i always found her work to be wonderful and i finally got to purchase a piece a few years ago and i was like yeah like i'm supporting art this is great yeah but i do love actual paintings which is something i can't do at all as an artist i'm a terrible painter <laughs> I do love the texture of it i love the colors i love how you can mix paint and how light affects that so i think i've always been drawn to that
0: side note just because i'm interested where did you purchase it, and how much did you purchase it for? Okay, okay.
1: So, <laughs> and it's funny, because, like, I shouldn't technically have purchased this thing, but I loved it so much. It's the most expensive thing I've ever purchased. I paid $1,000 for this painting. So this is, like, a real painting.
0: Wow. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. And
1: I basically, I was working full-time, and then I was doing theater at night, so I basically took my theater stipend and just said, here we go. <laughs> you know, I don't need to pay off my student loans. I just love this piece of art so much. <laughs> And I bought it. It was actually interesting. I have been working still actually uh, for years now at a small theater called Casa 101 in Los Angeles. They really support their Latino and Latina community in Boyle Heights, which is a, like a subsection of L.A. Their walls are an art gallery. So they continually for each show that they perform, they have a different set of art there and they've, you know, they have a curator and all these things. And so I basically was doing a show at the time at their space and I saw this painting for a month and I just, I I needed it. I needed it in my life. And I was like, you know what? This is, this is probably too much money for me to spend personally, but this is going to make me incredibly happy the rest of my life. So.
0: Oh, that is so good. I, I love that because one, you're an artist and you supported another artist And you did it in a way of like actually giving them a paycheck. Yes. As opposed to being like getting getting their $40 painting or, you know, or something.
1: Yes, this was her original art. This she brought it to my house. She was so excited that this was going to a home that would really appreciate her art. And we just kind of chatted for a while as two artists and it. She makes me incredibly happy, this lady, so.
0: What, what is her name again?
1: Bonnie Lambert.
0: Bonnie Lambert. Can, will you do me a favor after this? Will you send me a picture of it so that I can post it with your episode?
1: Yes, yes, and I can send you her link, I'm sure.
0: Absolutely, amazing. All right, so that's your creative personality. Your financial personality now, are you bad with money or good with money?
1: I would like to say I'm good with money, although I've gotten myself into a few pickles. What's one so. of those
0: pickles, just out of curiosity? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> COVID-19 does not count as a pickle.
1: No, 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 no. Um, I did this interesting thing back in the day, back in like 2012, I want to say, where I had a full-time job so I could actually financially, like I have a financial spreadsheet and I was like, my friend had talked to me about potentially doing zero APR credit cards and paying off your student loans that way, which I caution, if you do not know what you're doing, you will get yourself into the amount of debt that I did. So... So I do caution that. But I was doing that. So I'd, I'd, I'd basically take a credit card and I'd do the zero PR offer to myself. And then I would pay part of a student loan because my interest rates were super high. They were close to 9%. at Wow. One point. Yeah, really In bad. In 2012? And, oh, yeah. Yeah. My private, they're all private loans, or most of them are. So it was I was trying to figure out how to pay these student loans faster and more cheaply, and this would have worked. Yes. <laughs> and then I got laid off in 2013, and I didn't have enough savings. So I just got myself into credit card debt, Yeah, which was a genius plan, except – because I, I did have financial spreadsheets. like I knew how much I needed to pay back my credit card every month in order to not have any money on the card by the time the, like, the 15-month offer expired. Mm-hmm. So, I did have everything, all my ducks in a row, but I didn't have savings because I was young and didn't was like, I don't need savings. I'm invincible, which is a mistake, obviously. You definitely need savings. Yeah. So, I would say that the fact that I even was successful at all at it for a time means that I like, I, I do understand money, but. Uh, I'm definitely still paying off that debt, which sucks.
0: Do you still have those financial spreadsheets?
1: Oh, yeah. As a freelancer, I have very meticulous Excel spreadsheets. Is
0: there any way you could like copy one and empty out the info and then like share a link to it on your episode page so that we could see like what spreadsheets you use. You don't have to. Sure. If sure. it's too much Yeah. Trouble. I won't give you
1: obviously my information, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <no. laughs> I'll give you my social too. You well, know? Cause I like, I
0: have a document for like expenses throughout my year, but it's in like my mm. format that nobody else uses or would understand. I'm just curious like sure. what yours looks like too.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm happy to send that. Well, because as a freelancer, you know, We have 10 1099s and eight W-2s and it's so much to figure out and not that companies, of course, don't pay you on purpose. I would like to think they're more honest than that, but sometimes a payment's late and you need to know what the heck is going on. So you need to be your best detective, right? You need, you're the one who cares the most about your finances. So you need to be prepared for that. So I've always, because I've always freelanced, even when I had full-time jobs, I always have a financial spreadsheet and then also I can allocate, oh, you know, I had a really good financial month this month. Where do I want to put that money? I think it's important to name your money because money is a tool. And if you're not using your tool wisely, you don't know where your tool's going, then you're missing out, I think, on an opportunity to be like, oh, you know, I'd like to put this money into my 401k or I'd like to put this money towards my student loans. So it's just a visual way for me to Ensure that I know at all times how much money I'm spending and where my money is going.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so now I'm going to shift to COVID-19 talk. September 1st, this upcoming Tuesday, is the hashtag Red Alert Restart, which is where we're lighting up a bunch of buildings in red to get congressional attention so that they will pass the Restart Act, which I'm hopeful that they will bipartisanly. Mm -hmm. As a lighting designer living in New York City, can you just walk us through your sort of experience from like March until now?
1: I graduated 2011, so I came into it just after the 2008 financial recession. Mm -hmm. So I'm one of the younger folks in the industry who's never actually seen our industry at its peak. I've never had the pleasure of, of the money flowing in a way that we can actually get paid appropriately and we can have assistance and we don't need to you know, argue for the fact that we need assistance and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So we were just getting there in 2019 after 10 years of the economy getting better, slowly, slowly, slowly. Yeah. And then 2020, I was actually doing really well. I was getting really interesting gigs in January and February. I was really excited for this year. I was looking forward to paying off my credit card debt. There are all these like things that I was excited about. Yeah. And then I was actually working at a theater when broadway closed i wasn't working i was working off broadway house Mm. and we got the news that broadway shut down and i know that for the whole country broadway is not necessarily as important but it is i think a bellwether
0: Mm -hmm. yes
1: indicator of of our industry and when broadway closed so did everything else yeah so sort of it's interesting because my my mother's a social worker and she was telling me that she was trying to be like, you need to get a new job right now, you know, months later after, after the late March shutdown. So we've been closed for five plus months. Is that right? Since, since mid-March, basically, our whole industry has stopped. Because I freelance, I don't have, I haven't seen a lick of work since then. Yeah. And I'd like to point out that we're all really hard workers. Right. Y- like, we, like I don't like sitting at home. I think that's why I started a podcast is because I can't do it. I don't know how to sit at home.
0: And I'll just point out that like in, in theater, but also events, all live events, is like we work 16-hour days, six days a week. Yes. Most people can't deal with that and don't work in the industry.
1: Yes. And so my mother, who is not in the industry, she was saying she had been laid off years ago as a social worker, and it was really hard for her because she had to find a new job. And, you know, and that's scary. And that's absolutely scary. But what I had to remind her of was that when she got a new job as a social worker, she got a new job in the same field. Yeah. I think people think that we do art and it's sort of like playtime. Right. And I do wish to say that I do love my job. I think that being creative and being paid to be creative is amazing, but we don't do our, it is a, it is a job. It is a real job and I have a real degree for it. And even those, you know, who are older than us who sort of fell into the industry before it really became that you needed to get a degree, they are well educated in and have much experience in what we do. This is a highly technical actually job. Yeah. All of them are. I think this is not just playtime where we're just making art. This is an actual industry that runs based on our expertise. And I wish to say that we do have expertise. And if my mother had to all of a sudden not be a social worker and be, you know, in the construction field, she'd have no idea what she was doing because that's not what she's trained in. Right. Right now, some some folks are saying, well, you guys can just get a new job, which I would like to say we're officially in a recession. Yeah. So you can't just get a new job in a recession anyway. It's much harder to get a new job in general. I know I have some friends who are not in our industry any longer and they're applying for other jobs and it's extremely hard in any industry right now and we also have highly skilled expertise in what we do and i'm not i'm not sure that any other industry would they they would tell them to just quit their jobs of 30 or 40 years and just do something new it's very hard to pivot that way right and we're not qualified to do every job i'm not qualified to be an accountant Right. You know, like, (laughs) I mean, I, I, you know, if that's something I wish to pursue, that's great. And, you know, I wish everyone well, if they do wish to pursue something else, but I'm not qualified to do any other job just because you say that I can.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. The other thing too is, okay, get training, go to X months of training, get a new job. Well, we're all hoping, optimistic that live events are going to be back by February, March of next year. So it's like, okay, four months of training, start the new job. And- Oh, hey, I'm going to quit because my, my industry returned. It's not quite as simple as get a new job.
1: No, it is not. And we're not talking about a few folks either. You said about 12 million. Is that correct? That's
0: live event only. Only? In the United States. 28 million people are on unemployment or nearly 30 million just in the United States. 30 million jobs that went offline. A lot of restaurants go hand-in-hand with live events. You know, any restaurant around a sporting arena, any restaurant around a concert venue, any restaurant, like the Broadway District, those restaurants, many are not going to reopen. So yeah, 12 million in live event, which is what the Red Alert Restart thing is about, is those 12 million people, you and I included, but we're not even talking about the other 20 million.
1: I think what could be interesting is if the government stepped in and said, okay, we're going to have all these people who are unemployment actually trained to do something that they can do relatively quickly. Something that potentially is online, something, that, something like a virtual assistant where like we could learn those skills within potentially a few weeks versus months or years of training. And then potentially we could go back to our jobs. I think that would be an interesting endeavor. I don't really see that happening. What do you do with 20 million people who do have jobs and their jobs are coming back? I do, wish, I, I do believe that. The arts has been around since the dawn of time. It's not going away. They've survived plagues before. We will survive plagues again. It's just a matter of when, absolutely.
0: There are thousands of small theater businesses or small event companies, or big ones, actually. The companies are suffering as well. Yes, the individuals are re- are suffering, but the businesses also have zero income, zero revenue. And you can only... Uh, Like Michael Strickland on yesterday's podcast, he is one of the few people that had cash reserves because he was trying to buy a new property for a new warehouse, and he's burning through his cash. So he's keeping everyone on board, paying them to do nothing, but he's burning through his cash reserves, and he's the only sort of example of that. I mean, maybe there's some more, but that's not a good business model at all. Like, you know, that's not sustainable. He's just hanging on as long as he can. So, yeah, but all the businesses... Like there's so many businesses that are going over and we focus on the live event ones. But once again, every restaurant is its own business.
1: Every hotel. Every hotel. There's no one traveling. So the hotel and hotels are booked up as soon as you get, you're right, a large show anywhere of any variety, you're going to get hotel uh, accommodations. So there are other industries that are hurting because we are hurting. And I think that's important to note, too.
0: Tyler Perry, he does films. He was building, maybe he already has built down in Atlanta, like a huge housing complex, because anytime he's has a film, he's flying a bunch of people in who they have to pay for hotels. And he's like, I'm just going to build my own housing because the hotels are expensive, and this way they can be nearby. We don't have to pay as much for transportation, et cetera. Um, but that just goes to show that when you have these events, people are coming in, staying at hotels, you know, adding to the economy. And that's how important it is that it behooves people to actually build their own <laughs> little cities <laughs> because shows and events make temporary cities all over the place.
1: Absolutely. I think we don't even need to just talk about live events, but of course, we are in the live event industry. But even the films that we watch, I think people, again, think that art isn't necessary. It's sort of like doctors are necessary, agreed. But I think art is also necessary in a different way. What have people really been doing during this time of COVID-19 to make themselves feel better? Are they listening to their favorite favorite album? Are they, are they watching Netflix? Are they, you know, do they get Disney Plus and they're watching all their favorite Disney movies? Well, guess what? All of that is art. All of it. And I think that people miss going to the movie theater. People miss going to theaters. So you're like, oh, well, I'm, I've never been to a theater show in my life. Why should this matter? Well, it matters because art does matter. And art is a type of therapy, I do believe. And art enriches our lives. So if we're just doing our nine-to-five job and there's no art in our lives at all, I think that would actually be a pretty sad life. So I think that it is important to support the arts. I think that potentially after this pandemic, I think that we should talk about how we can actually support the arts to be more sustainable and to be an actual industry that is worthy of the people who really view it and appreciate it.
0: It is my hope, too, that out of this, we rebuild the theater, the live event industry into one that respects the workers instead of just treating them as humanoids.
1: Yes, I mean Game of Thrones did not happen in a vacuum. <laughs> Game, you know, things things like that are beloved shows at this point happened because of the blood, sweat and tears of tons of people tons of people. It takes it takes a village to create art that way.
0: I know. I always think anytime you see a film or a model or a something where somebody's hair is blowing, I always think there's somebody holding a fan right next to the camera. <laughs> like, we would not be able to fool yeah. you into believing that they're driving down a highway or they're riding a horse if that fan weren't placed right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Your comment of, of artist therapy. Yeah, if you've ever cried at a movie or a show or a piece of music, that's therapy, baby.
1: Yes. Yes. Art makes you feel things. Art makes you feel more human.
0: Thank you for having this conversation. appreciate you coming on. A couple more questions, which is, do you have any encouragement or advice for live event workers right now to get them through to February or March or when, whenever live events return?
1: I think we just need to keep hope. And I think we need to keep on our representatives. I do think it's important to make our voices known and i do think that they need they have to listen because we are such a large population and i think you're starting to see that when people protest when people do things your your representatives represent you and therefore they need to listen when the voices are loud enough so i do hope that this red day is a visual representation of the fact that our industry does need help and that our government should want to help us because we do contribute to society we do make a lot of industries turn if you're feeling sad or hopeless about this turn that into a passion for making our industry better in the end you know let's have these discussions now that we're having about when we come back which we will come back what can we do to make our industry better make our ourselves better and definitely talk to your talk to your congressmen and women about what they can do to help us in our time of need right now so that we, in turn, can help everyone else when we can come back. Make the representatives that you have currently listen to your concerns because that is actually what they're there for.
0: I love that. Before I let you go, Sammy Ross, where can people find out more about you?
1: I will say that right now, my latest project is my podcast, which you can check out on thisisnotahandout.com. Or if you'd like to check out my lighting design work, you can check me out at sammyross.com.
0: Well, Sammy, thank you so much for talking with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: That was our interview with Sammy Ross. My takeaways were, be informed. Listening to this podcast helps, but so does getting a daily news briefing. Reach out to legislators. That is the direct link to having your voice heard as a citizen. If you want to help, Please visit artisticfinance.com for details or search hashtag RedAlertRestart. If you have listened to this entire episode, thank you. And if you are feeling in good spirits, please find Artistic Finance on YouTube and subscribe. It's a small action that has a big impact for us. Each new subscriber helps us reach our goal of a thousand so that we can run ads on our videos. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steimel. Producing consultant Anne Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chang Liu.